Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering the climate crisis and covering it better. So what does great coverage of the climate crisis look like? You would think that in the summer of 2022, with these record wildfires already underway and with years and years and years of scientific evidence of what we're facing now clear, that newsrooms would have some consensus about the best way to approach this. But it turns out they don't. Do you focus on individuals and what they can do or do you focus on big companies and what they should be doing? Do you approach it with fear or do you approach it with a sense of optimism and solutions How is the best way to present solutions that people can use and respond to? So this is still an active conversation in journalism. And one of the things that people are looking for is models of great climate journalism that they can point to and maybe emulate. So that's one of the reasons why Covering Climate Now, which is the global media collaborative that CJR helped found, started the Climate Journalism Awards. This is the second year. The new crop were announced earlier this month. We had 900 entries from around the world, and we picked 22 winners. And the idea is you can read these stories and you can look at what great climate journalism looks like. In addition to individual awards, we announced a Climate Journalist of the Year for the first time, and I'm thrilled to be joined by this year's winner, Justin Warland from Time Magazine. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on, Kyle, and um, um, still honored and, and, and flattered by the award. Yeah, congratulations. It's fantastic. Um, do you do you agree with my sentiment that there's still some unsettled sense in newsrooms and, and uncertainty about how to tackle the climate story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there is uh, there are a wide range of opinions about how to be doing this best and, and, you know, not a clear path forward to a consensus. So, I mean, these are, these are questions that I think are being debated. And, you know, I think it's interesting that you, you raised a lot of these sort of, um, you know, almost either or questions, but I, I think what's interesting to me, and, and I guess the way I would say I approach it uh, is thinking about doing all of the above, you know, uh, it's important to cover those, individual solutions, but also uh, business solutions. It's important to, you know, think about um, about climate in a whole bunch of different ways. But, but certainly to your question, um, these things are not settled. And is it fair to say that the sort of unspoken trap here is that too many newsrooms still see aggressive climate coverage as some kind of political move? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's changed a lot. I think that's one one thing I would say. I mean, the 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 way in which climate was covered, you know, 20 years ago, um, just as any sort of other political issue where you call up uh, somebody on you know one side and call up someone on the other. Uh, I think those days are are over. Uh, but having said that, I do think climate is perceived as being a cause, as being something that. A group of people, you know, that is particularly passionate about that issue uh, is, you know, advocating for and not something that is really, you know, permeating throughout society, throughout everything that we we cover. And so I think there's a need to break through, you know, seeing climate as a political cause to seeing it as something that's actually just a part of everything. Uh, and, And I don't know that that understanding 
has really broken through. I think it's 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 understood that climate change is real and that we can't call up a climate denier and quote them. But I don't know that it's understood that that it's important enough uh, that it should be more than you know seen as more than just a a cause or the pet issue for a, a group of people. One of the things that worries me is that newsrooms are actually behind their audience on this. Like, I mean, if you read polls after poll after poll, it says that people across the political spectrum are are concerned about climate. Um, And there's even a pretty broad consensus that people think that something should be done about it. And I'm wondering if the newsrooms are sort of out of touch where their audience is. I know that that's definitely true among younger readers and viewers but what is your i mean you work for time which is a which is a pretty has a pretty broad uh spectrum of of readers it's not seen as particularly ideological among its audience i mean do you get this kind of backlash that we're talking about yeah well i think the first thing i would say i think there's this interesting sort of uh sense you know that people have about what their audience wants uh, and the kind of climate stories that they'll they'll digest and that they'll they'll want to read and you know my my finding has been that um audiences are interested in a wide range of of issues on climate and and i find that stories that i write um you know i I don't i'm not necessarily tracking the the numbers uh on a on a daily basis but sometimes you know i'll write a story on something that's incredibly wonky that you know i think anybody who's like uh, you know, traffic-driven or, 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 or thinking about how to find audience might say, oh, that's not something that people want to read. And then actually people will really engage with it. Uh, so I think there's a question about, you know, really trying to, uh, to, to break away from the sort of preconceived notion about, you know, what, what audiences want to read uh, and actually doing the work to write good stories and then, and then uh, you know, find an audience that, that I think is out there. I think with regard to ideological backlash, um, you know, I, I do think it's, it's interesting. Of course, I, as anybody who writes about climate, um, I, I get some backlash from people who are um, denying the science or who are, who are harsh ideologues. But I also have had quite an interesting experience, I think, in that I, you know, I would say I have sources across the ideological spectrum you know, I, I do make an effort to talk to Republicans. I make an effort to talk to, you know, left-wing activists. And, uh, you know, I write stories, I think, that 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 really, you know, I mean, I, I will often get notes that say, yeah, I mean, I don't, I disagree with uh, some of the content of the story, but, like, fundamentally, you got it right, and there's nothing I can do. And I, and I do think it's important to try to uh, understand the spectrum of views on this issue, which I think is something that that hasn't necessarily been done. I, I, the other thing I would say, I think, you know, oftentimes if you if you write about climate or if you write about the environment uh, and you sort of build a source base that is largely in these movements as they've existed for years, you can you can wind up with um, an important but a relatively narrow spectrum of um, perspectives. And so I, I do think it's important, and I make an effort to engage people outside of those those sort of traditional bounds and i think it makes for much richer reporting i guess to get back to the sort of question you know is you know yes i get that backlash but i think you can sort of avoid that by making sure that you're really engaging with uh, a spectrum of of uh perspective 
What's an example of somebody from one of these sort of unexpected perspectives that you've talked to that sort of that, that struck you, if a person struck you as being particularly, having a particularly nuanced, interesting view or or, some, or just talk to you in a way about this that you weren't expecting? Does somebody come to mind? Well, I think about, I did a reporting trip to um, West Virginia um, and talking to coal miners. And of course, this is something that, you know, coal miners are are uh, uh, often, you know, talked about, even though they're a relatively small um, percentage of the population. But but I think it's worth highlighting that, that trip because I was surprised you know, this was the time Trump was president. He was promising to bring back coal. Coal miners, you know, at least on the surface, seemed to be enthused. And the, the conversation I had on the ground, and it wasn't just one person, the, the, the sort of overall sentiment was, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know that's not happening. We understand why coal is being squeezed out, and it's related to market forces due to natural gas. Um, and yet they were still enthusiastic about Trump and somebody who was talking to them and seeming to care. And I just, there, there was this level of, of, you know, understanding that I got uh, by seeing, you know, these people and talking to them and not just portraying them as sort of simple dupes of, you know, uh, of, of the Trump administration. And, and, and I, I think that makes for a richer story, right, where, you know, you're really getting um, a, a, a perspective that is, uh, that is true and, and not just a, a sort of stereotype well, speaking of you know, I think, speaking of avoiding stereotypes, you you helped launch the Uproot Project, which is um, focused on raising the work of journalists of color when covering climate. What? Tell me a little bit about the the sort. And that was one of the the that was that work was among the things that was cited by the covering climate now judges and in, in in wanting to to recognize your work as the journalist of the year, what, what was the impetus of that project? And like, how are you going about doing that? Yeah. Um, well, first I, I would say I, um, I, so I'm was one of the, the co-founders of the Uproot project. I've been working on this for the, the past three years. Uh, there's a group of, you know, a good dozen of us who've done that work. And I just want to, I want to recognize that work because they, you know, um, I'm, I'm part of a team. Um, the Uproot Project, you know, we started thinking three years ago in Seattle. Uh, we had a sort of a gathering of, of, of about a dozen environmental journalists of, journalists of color. And I think the idea was just, you know, what kind of what can we do to help foster uh, the voices of journalists of color? And then, you know, in doing so, help elevate the conversation around, um, you know, related issues and help break down the way, you know, people think about climate or rather help uh, people understand the sort of intersections with, with climate and environmental justice. And um, really, you know, we centered on, you know, how do we help support uh, journalists of color who are, who are interested in covering the environment? There aren't that many of us. So a lot of that is just simple things like trainings or, you know, gatherings. We've done, you know, many virtual gatherings uh, because we launched in the middle of the pandemic, but uh, actually, um, right now from Seattle where we're, we're doing our first in-person gathering and sort of having a, um, a, a series of meetings as well. You, you, you mentioned trainings. What else are you doing to sort of like um, to raise up the work or bring more journalists of color into the climate story? What else, what else, what else are, you, are you doing right. to pull that off? 
Right. So we, we've got we've got a few different things. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we have training, uh, helping journalists uh, develop skills that are that are helpful for pitching stories, writing stories, etc. We're building databases uh, both to help connect journalists uh, with diverse sourcing in the environmental space, but also to help connect um, editors and uh, writers who. You know, if, if you're a, a, a editor who's hiring, you can help find you can find a a journalist of color who might be looking for a job. We're uh, we have a fellowship program which uh, we sponsored uh, seven uh, journalists of uh, journalists of color and their environmental reporting projects. We have uh, uh, you know a series of of more social events, just trying to create a space for discussion. Uh, you know, about the different challenges that people might be facing. Uh, we are, we have a newsletter to promote the work of environmental journalists of color, help connect them with, um, with opportunities. Really, it's like, it's like a really, a really long list of things that we're working on, mm. trying to help, uh, uh, you know, foster uh, these journalists who are, who are interested in, in covering climate. I, I think, you know the, the the sort of big picture is um, just just finding ways to uh, to uh, create a a a a, um, a channel for for people to uh, get involved in the space if they if they want to and they felt like they could in the past. So let's talk about um, how you see the climate story now. Um, you wrote a piece. Um, just over a year ago, that was sort of placing climate in 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 relation to the pandemic, um, and you were making the argument that you know people have seen this sort of global story that if, you know and and how it's based in science and how it affects um, vulnerable communities disproportionately, and that in a way is a kind of um, it's a hopeful sign that the sort of world could tackle, if it could tackle the pandemic, it could tackle a story, uh, something like the climate crisis too. Um, and I, and I and then I reread another piece that you read, you wrote a year earlier, and I think it was in 2020, calling that uh, 2020 the sort of the year of climate or the year that the year that something has to happen. Um, I forget what was the exact line. Um, well, it was, it was something like last best chance. Right. Yeah. This is the last best chance. Do you? Um, and, and underlying that, there was some optimism that now the world had sort of woken up and that, that people were going to finally start to tackle this problem. Um, I mean, we're talking today on a day when the Roe v. Wade decision was announced by the Supreme Court, on a day when the January 6th hearings are dominating the news, Ukraine is dominating the news, the upcoming elections are in in focus, and it's once again, it's super hard for newsrooms to sort of pick something to focus on. And <clears throat> the danger, I think, is that the climate story sort of gets lost once again, as it has in the past, in that shuffle. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you fear that happening now, or do you think that there's been a sort of fundamental shift? Well, I think there has been a fundamental shift. I mean, you can just look at staffing levels at newsrooms across the country. You can look at um, just you know, general uh, interest level among readers. I I think it's it's still there. Um, I think as journalists, um, you know, we we still have the opportunity to tell the story and, and and to find people who are interested in reading about it. I think 
you know, um, outside of the industry, though, I mean, clearly uh, getting, uh, you know, uh, policymakers, et cetera, to, to pay attention and focus, stay focused on the climate story, you know, not not my job to do that, but I think clearly as a as an observer and a writer about these things, um, you know, I would say that that the, the last best chance that you alluded to uh, was was squandered. Um, I think it's important that 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 journalists speak truthfully about that. There's a lot of debate about, you know, how much do we provide optimism? How much do we, uh, you know, sugarcoat things to get people engaged? And, it's, you know, we're journalists. The truth is what we should be reporting. And I think the truth is that, you know, from a sort of policy uh, perspective, that that last best chance was 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 squandered. Um, and, uh, you know, but people are still interested in reading about it. That's I think that is true. You didn't start out as a climate writer, right? Did you, 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 you nope. came to this how long ago? Came to this a little over seven, seven years ago, um, seven, eight years ago. Um, totally coincidentally, I mean, it was uh, basically I was writing at time about other things, and this job opened up, and it was, you know, I mean, it, it was um, an opportunity to uh, dig my teeth into a new beat, and frankly, I was a little skeptical at the beginning, but um, I, it just, it took me just a, a, a few months of, of reading and reporting to realize that this is going to be um, a much bigger issue uh, in a few years, and and of course um, um, that that came true. Why were you skeptical? Well, I was skeptical because I don't have any sort of academic or or reporting background uh, in it. And so, you know, I I I my journalistic career was. Um, uh, you know, at the time, relatively short, but but it had been focused on politics, um, and then I, you know, did some breaking news and a little bit of health reporting, and uh, uh, and health, I would say, was really not a fit. So, you know, the, the idea of, of of transitioning to something that is fundamentally rooted in science, and um, you know, that I didn't really have any background knowledge, and was daunting. Um, uh, so I, I just you know, it was it sort of felt like it would be a challenge, and it was a challenge, but it was a, certainly a worthwhile challenge. Yeah, and I think the way you describe it is one of the reasons why your work has been so notable is that you sort of see the climate story in everything. It's in business. It's in politics. It's in culture. It's in. Uh, it's everywhere, um, and I think that that has has made it um, so much more compelling. I do think that's that's important, right? And I think that the I, I spent a few years writing the study stories, writing the stories about policy development before I realized, you know, I have to overhaul the way I think and I write about this because, A, there are, you know, not a huge number, but there were people doing that. Uh, and also it's, it's, it's more compelling and also just uh, true that the climate story is permeating and everything. And so the more that I could do that, and I think more broadly, the more that journalists, climate journalists can do that, uh, the more people are going to awaken and understand what's really happening with climate change. And so I, I just I appreciate your recognition of that, because to me, that's sort of the, the driving thing and the way I think about uh, the work that I that I do. So, so just want to say thank you for that. Yeah. Congratulations again. You, you can read um, a list of some of Justin's pieces at coveringclimatenow.org. 
org, which um, has a list of all the other 20 winners. The um, the award winners are going to be featured in a one-hour special hosted by Al Roker and Savannah Sellers that will air in October on the World Channel, which is broadcast by 191 public television stations nationwide. Justin, congrats again, and thank you so much. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me on. So you can follow Justin's work at Time. CJR is at CJR.org, Covering Climate Now at CoveringClimateNow.org. And follow our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next week.